what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, we're into May, man. It's going to be May. We are here. It is May. Kind of unbelievable to me. The year just seems to be getting faster yeah. and faster. I feel like I'm just getting older and older. Not Not good stuff, but the only good thing is... May brought about a lot of really good things to talk about, including Vampire Weekend, uh, the fourth episode of Game of Thrones Season 8, Long Shot. We're going to be talking Marvel's Phase 4. What's next after Endgame? And it seems like today was the day spoilers were acceptable online. Did you see a lot of Endgame spoilers out there? I didn't. Do you mean from, like, press? The actors themselves or something? Well, the Russo brothers said that two weeks after, or, like, th- this Monday was the acceptable day for... Oh. Uh, spoilers to be out there so people were i think also because the trailer came out for spider-man homecoming which had spoilers in it so they were spider-man far from home uh, far from home yes yeah that's that's good good point i mean I, i've seen the gifs like people like from the chinese bootleg copy oh. of endgame there's tons of scenes on online already so yeah. i feel like if you hadn't seen it by now you couldn't have cared that much right well especially because it's on pace to beat avatar and be the highest grossing movie of all time at this point. second highest grossing already worldwide it was the fastest movie to reach two billion it did it in 11 days and avatar did it which was the first fastest in 47 36 days less it took endgame just a monster unbelievable how popular this is uh really truly this and thrones like the last two pieces of monoculture probably for the first for the foreseeable future which is pretty nuts but before we get too far into it if you're watching this listening to this however you are hit that subscribe button especially if you're on youtube or itunes give us a rating and review give us some feedback you can also hit us up on our twitter page at nostalgia pod on twitter dave i want to give you the floor here because P&B Rock dropped, I uh, hear, a very good album that you wanted to talk about today. Oh, my <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> P&B Rock, we haven't talked about him, his music per se, on the pod thus far. We mentioned him when he was an XXL freshman in 2017. And he's actually one I hadn't seen coming. I just he hadn't really been on my radar at that time. But once I looked back on it, once I picked him, I was like, yeah, this kind of made sense. He's just had been bubbling for some time, and he had some fast rising hits so it made sense and since then he's actually been kind of surprisingly like really embraced by a lot of like top tier rappers like he's in the going bad drake meek meek mill video you know alongside people like mustard and ti and I think diddy's in there like you know legends and established guys in the game and just being me rock kind of new just there i, I thought i thought that was that was kind of interesting and you know i liked his first album catch these vibes i actually thought there was a fair amount of album cuts that's pretty good you know he's like a mix of r&b and rap more towards the r&b side like think just like singy drake like the singing side of scorpion drake that's kind of his thing and i really like every day we lit it's uh that song is a banger granted he's that's just a feature from pnb but he has all the quotables in it and then this new album you know trap star turn pop star number two full label support he was arrested a few months ago he's back now and i was like all right here we go everyone tells me he's a star he's pretty popular and this shit stinks, man. This shit really stinks. I was really, really disappointed. It's 50 something minutes long, and it's just generic, repetitive, singy R&B. Hip hop infused R&B. It, it's just really dull. And for a guy who had been in jail before he was famous, just recently got arrested again, I thought that adversity would lend more to his creative process. It did not. So I, uh, I can't endorse this. And I, I was disappointed because I wanted to be good because, again, I liked, liked the last album quite a bit. But I'd say it's a it's a total snoozer, unfortunately, hence why you didn't need to listen to it. So is it just that it's generic or is it that he doesn't really seem to have anything to say or is it just kind of all of the above, just really nothing to it? I don't mind if you're just generic sometimes. Everyone's generic at times, especially in the hip hop space. But that when you mix being having nothing to really say with kind of moody, uh, forgettable beats, and being relatively low energy most of the time with your delivery because it's this more subdued singing. I, I just don't really know what, what, what there is to latch on to. I know I'm sure the fans of the project would be like, it's a vibe, which again is a very nebulous thing to say when you don't really know what you like about it. Hmm. So I was let down, so I, I wouldn't recommend it. Well, uh, 
Not, not a good look for our guy PNB Rock. We're going to talk about local natives though. So there's been quite a few rock drops recently that we haven't talked about. You know, Cage the Elephant dropped an album. Way's Blood. Yeah, Way's Blood. I wanted to talk about this local natives one because local natives was a band that I've, I've really enjoyed on the download. I don't think we've ever talked about them on the pod really. Very indie band. Uh, rest very much on their their harmonies. You know they. I wouldn't say that anything stands out in particular about their sound. It's it, like I said, it's very indie, but their harmony is really what drives them because they almost exclusively exclusively on their first two albums rested on every chorus being around a harmony. Hummingbird, Gorilla Manor, their first two drops really well received, and then Sonic Youth dropped in 2016. That would have been right when the pod was starting. Actually, I'm not sure if we were even recording at the time. No, we were, uh, but just kind of went under the radar. I think what was disappointing about it was this band that grew off them being so cohesive as a unit seemed to really move away from this and almost made too mainstream of an album where they were not so much resting on their harmonies and made more generic sounding songs that where, you know, the, the lead singer, Kelsey Ayer, was really at the front and the song still sounded pretty good and i actually enjoyed quite a few of them off there things like dark days or coins i think were probably the highlights but violet street drops and it seems like a real return to form for the band because uh, not only does it i think have a more distinctive sound than they've had music wise since probably hummingbird before sonic youth but it's a lot more harmonies but they also infuse that mainstream sound where airs coming above the harmonies and not falling into the music but actually rising above it in a really great way i don't think that this is by far their best album that probably is their first one gorilla manor which i mean shocking a rock band's first album is the one that's most heralded and widely loved but i still think this is a really good album probably the the two songs i would say if you really want to get into it uh start with when am i gonna lose you and megaton mile megaton mile especially is one of my favorites it has this like thumping bass line and this really great guitar solo near the end but i think if you want to kind of know what when local natives at their best i would listen to this only because they have their style where they have that those harmonies in the background but kelsey Ayer really is rising above in this one and i think he really stands out as a, as a really great piece in that song and then lastly someday now is another song i'd recommend off the album we already added one to our spotify playlist which is nostalgia best of 2019 you can find that on spotify hit that follow button on there but have you ever listened to local local natives dave are you aware of them i think i have i mean i feel like i've just seen their name on mid-level festival billing for years now i was just gonna ask you i mean do you think they've just kind of peaked at as far as popularity as scale given the kind of rock music they do make i just think that they aren't as interesting as bands like tame impala or other bands who do similar things to them only because they are very like soft indie rock and very indie rock, but that's that's a niche now. You know, if you want to become a rock band with more acclaim, you have to be able to infuse a more mainstream sound with whatever your unique twist is on it. You know, think about Twenty One Pilots, who went almost hmm. too much Bad. like yeah, they went almost too far into that. Like I'm just trying to make pop hits, and then on their most recent release, Trench, I think we both enjoyed it because it pulled more into their style while also keeping that mainstream sound and i think local natives hasn't really found that that good middle yet so to speak right so i would definitely recommend violet street local natives fourth album and now let's talk about another fourth album that just came out this past weekend vampire weekend father of the bride been anticipating this album for a while dave i think it was on uh, our most anticipated albums of 2019 earlier in the year Singles have been dropping. We've been adding some to our playlist. Again, check that out. I know that you're not a big Vampire Weekend fan, actually. I reported you to Twitter <laughs> for calling them dorks this past weekend. I think that's part of their charm. That's part of their appeal is that they're a bunch of dorks, a bunch of waspy Ivy League New York City residents, or formerly New York City residents. I thought that was like the whole point, especially back in like 08 when it, when it was Vampire Weekend Mania. Yeah, I mean, am I wrong with that? Like, is, is that not the, is that the, the ideal for VW? Yeah, I don't know about dorks per se. That seems a bit harsh, but I do I do think part of their aesthetic is that they were these Ivy League kind of uppity kids who were preppy. yeah preppy kids who were capturing I think this like punkish sound while also pulling on all these other eclectic other influences, but they didn't really feel like the anger that comes with punk music was earned because they were these upper middle class kids making 
music and talking about existential crises and kind of just making these albums about figuring life out, finding, you know, religion and spirituality within a world that doesn't always make sense and exploring different cultures. Like, it's, I I don't think they ever felt it was earned to be angry. And I I think especially on this album, they don't lean into anger at all it's actually probably their most mainstream to go back to local natives mainstream and american influence album that they've dropped to date and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. does that make this an enjoyable listen for you i like this way more than the other three i guess modern vampires in the city was my favorite Mm -hmm. of the first three can't really take much away from it other than like songs like a punk and cousins from the first two records i didn't really care for much of much of the music it was just like just too soft for me ultimately (laughs) but i do appreciate the melding of genres and sounds from song to song. There's there's a fair amount of African drum influence yep. if you look for it on some of the other older albums. And whether you have a problem with that or not, it's there. But for Father of the Bride, which by the way, I respect the six year layoff or almost six year layoff between albums. That's uh, not common no. for bands this big. And actually, I was thinking before we even get in the album, is Vampire Weekend like the last like great rock band or last great? Like, big band like i was trying to think like around that time tame impala and fleet foxes first came out and if we like separate really pop influence acts like 21 pilots and 1975 is there anyone that got this big between 2008 and now and like apologies to greta van vliet but like real bands <laughs> shots yeah i mean i'm thinking about it what 2008 when did the, the killers dropped way before that the killers arcade fire they're all like early mid aughts you know i'm just th- Dirty Projector, same thing. It feels like Vampire Weekend, like the last breath of the New York slash Brooklyn indie scene that was so vibrant at that time, you know, post-strokes and stuff. Kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, you know, uh, in the recent uh, biography, um, not biography, I'm sorry. The Oral History. Oral History, Meet Me in the Bathroom, they were mentioned it, but they're in like the later chapters. Yeah. It's kind of like the end of that era. So yeah, it probably makes sense that they were like the first major rock band to break out like that. I guess... Like Florence and the Machine was probably huh, also yeah, around that time, maybe. I don't know, I'm trying to think if there's any others. Help. I'm discluding like bad bands like Mumford and Imagine Dragons like, besides <laughs> them. Yeah, no, I, I think Florence would probably be the only other one I can hmm. think of at the moment. Because Paramore was also before that. Yep. So, yeah, the, the six year layoff, though, in that time, Ezra moved from, Ezra Koenig, the lead singer of Vampire Weekend, moved from new york he moved to la which was kind of i think spurned by his aspirations to be more into the music scene but also be living with his wife rashida jones they have a kid together now in that time he's worked with a lot of pop artists carly ray jepson charlie xcx he produced and co-wrote on hold up by beyonce which is i don't know he had a really interesting story in the interview where yeah he basically had had made this song with diplo and really wanted to put on a vampire weekend album they kind of just like sat around for two years and someone was like hey beyonce really likes this song would you give it to her and he's like really <laughs> sure like and ended up hearing it and like new right away is supposed to be a beyonce song which is pretty awesome also shouts to diplo who apparently is like a genius just um, uh helped marry joe jonas and sophie turner he's <laughs> always around that's diplo's thing <laughs> but yeah so the thing about vampire weekend is like you said they can be a little dorky but they're very they're very tight band, and uh, I think, I don't know if experimental is the right way to put them, but they definitely are unique sounding. There's not really other, other bands that pull together these influences in such a cohesive way. And I think Father of the Bride is probably their least cohesive album. It is probably the weakest written album, hmm. which I think can be debated. Um, but. Well, it's it's a different style, and you know that we talked. I think um, you mean a less good style. It's it's a different style, and I'll, I'll say that because Ezra talked about in interviews leading up that he was actually uh, collaborating or getting some advice from Casey Musgraves on how to write more straightforward. Vampire Weekend is hmm. known for having these very like intricate and like layered lines, but almost like he's trying to pack too much into each sentence and each right. verse, and it was almost too heady so he wanted to make it a little bit more straightforward so i think that does take away a little bit from the album in terms of what he's trying to get at but i think it also makes for some of the most pleasant songs that they've ever made yeah that's interesting you know leading up to this i listened to this first singles and i was like i'm not really having this uh (laughs) it's dull but then honestly like once i listened to the whole album 
I, I get the Harmony Hall hype. I, I understand. It's good. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a good song. I say I like the song. I also like Sunflower. Shout out to Steve Lacey. Yeah. What's the other one? Un- Unbearably White? Unbearably Something White's like really good. Yeah. I, I really like This Life, which seems to be like a pretty clear Van Morrison poll. Hmm. You know, Harmony Hall, I hear a lot of like Grateful Dead, Rolling Stones influence. I also think they really tried to still infuse a lot of different sounds. Flower Moon, very clear, like Brazilian Ooh. jazz. Um, and also Steve Lacey influence song. Sympathy was like this gothy flamenco sounding song. Very like intense right. strumming, which I thought was really cool on it. Th- there's a lot to like. What did you think about Danielle Hames' presence on this album? I was just going to ask about that. She's on what, three tracks? Yeah. Well, she's she's featured on three tracks and she backed in vocals, I think, on three more. Une- unexpected, honestly. I'd like to hear more of the Hames sisters just because that second album kind of came and went in, what, 2017, I think it was? Left a lot to be desired. And, like, they're still, by all accounts, widely regarded within the music-making community. So this is actually a really big look, given the Nadir, not Nadir, but the cresting of the Heim career at this time. So, yeah, I thought she was good, uh, well well used. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of what Vampire Weekend does, I would never say that bad composers or anything. They definitely know how to pick their spots. At, wor- at worst, the album is just super inoffensive. You're never going to listen to any of these songs and be, oh, this song is trash, or this song is yeah. makes my ears bleed. No, none of, none, none of that's ever true. It's just whether you care enough about the lyrics or when it gets a little slower or softer, if you can still engage. And that's kind of where I fall out to be expected, though. Yeah, Modern Vampires of the City was pretty close to a perfect album. You know, it's it's very cohesive. Each track sounds different, but they still have all these ties that pull together. And it's some of the best writing they've ever done. Rostam was a huge influence on that. He produced the whole thing. And I think his presence is really evident, or, or his absence is very evident right. in this gone. album. Yeah, because he's he's not, I mean, he was what, on one song, which I, I think is We Belong Together, he produced and helped write. But other than that, he's not really that on much of the album, and I you don't really hear much of Chris Thompson or Chris Bayo either. And this really feels like Ezra, like he's had six years to gestate and kind of think about what he wanted Vampire Weekend to be. And he wanted to make it a little bit more jammy, I think. And I, I think that doesn't really fit for Rostam. He's very, like, very precise in terms of how he produces. And I think this is very much like Ezra and Friends in a lot of ways with, with Chris Thompson and Chris Bayo instead of Vampire Weekend in total. Do you think this is the last vampire weekend record or do you think maybe ezra uses the vampire weekend name for a pseudo solo project moving forward do you think the this ezra focus creative focus continues or do you think it just stops altogether well i mean it's it's obvious ezra is the he's the breakout i mean he's the well that's uh, been that's been the case obviously yeah but but rostam got a lot of love and I think I don't see why Chris Thompson and Chris Bayo wouldn't want to continue doing it unless they really feel like they're being pushed out of the creative process, which we haven't gotten any, any indication of that. So I don't think it'll be the last Vampire Weekend album, but I do expect there to be a sizable gap between the next one. And I guess Ezra is probably going to do a lot more solo work, a lot more producing. I, I expect to see him like featured on a lot of albums coming up. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I would guess probably. I mean, Jenny Lewis is uh, actually on 2021 it says the boy on it which i think is fucking hilarious because you never would have known it but i'm I'm guessing he'll probably be collaborating with her probably casey musgraves probably the Haim sisters i expect to see him a lot of places as as he seems to be now reinvigorated by this album i'm actually seeing them in september but they just had a show at webster hall where they did three sets played this straight through and apparently people that were there said that it was like one of the best shows they've ever been to so I think as a band, they're still beloved. They're still uh, tight as ever live, and they're really fun to see live. But I just think uh, in terms of what you expect from Vampire Weekend, this album kind of subverts a lot of that and leaves a little bit to be desired. Overall, I think this is still top-line indie music. So if you like it, you got to listen to Vampire Low Weekend. Ah, uh, shots. <laughs> Don't appreciate that. Report. I'm going to be reporting you to Jack again. You're going to get that, that account shut down. All right, I think that that's enough music for today. Why don't we talk Game of Thrones? Dave, what's your uh, what's your Starbucks order? <laughs> Did not notice it at the time. Really funny joke. Everyone's having a go at it. I think it's really funny. Also, unexpected callback to the pilot of Game of Thrones where there's an extra <laughs> wearing jeans under like, he's like a Hell tunic yeah. of some kind like uh, for his like chest. 
and then he's just wearing jeans. This also happens all the time. So other people are like, oh, you know, Game of Thrones, HBO, they've been phoning in the whole time. Look, you can't, you can't see episode three, episode four. They leave a Starbucks cabin. I'm like, dog, they leave shit gets left in shots constantly <laughs> for everyone. This is not some like unique, rare problem. And to be honest, it's a show that they only took nine months to make this season instead of 10. But I don't know if they look at dailies every single day when they're just digging all this bulk footage. They probably noticed it at some point and just said, well, we're going to have to leave it in because that's the best shot of Danny for that moment that we want. Right. So it is what it is. But really funny in the moment. Definitely really funny. Also, the, apparently Danny's wig changed in like the same scene. I don't think it's that big a deal either, but people were clowning it a little bit. So Amelia Clark wears so much extra hair. Yeah. You know? So like, whatever. <laughs> do we got to? Overall, what did you think of the episode, though? I've seen a lot of different uh, takes on it. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. I think structurally it does kind of feel like two different uh, two different episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, you know, if we had more time, if season seven, season eight were longer, we just had more time and everything. This could have been two separate episodes, I suppose. We just really have the, the one, the beginning of the episode, the post-battle morning Party. slash revelry, right. getting litty, having <laughs> sex episode. Hell yeah. Lots of great shit there. Loved yep. a lot of it. Most of it. Awesome. And in the second episode, where we're getting down the brass tacks, once again, we're fucking last war in this bitch. We're ending it, right? Yep. And next thing you know, Rhaegal's dead. And that episode ends with Missandei dead. It's like, oh shit. All right. We here again. Yeah, I liked it again. I, again, I think it's a show that even if like the abrupt pacing that just inherently accompanies ending this kind of narrative of this scale, even with that, it's still fucking engaging as shit all the time. Yep. So, again, I, I love the episode, like usual. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was good. I, I do feel like I worry about some of the things that happened, and I'm, I'm not going to make a judgment on it until we see how it ends. Like, for example, I've seen a lot of people talking about Jamie and Brienne and how, hmm. you know, they, they got together, and that was one of the most, like, crowd-pleasing, you know, fan- Shipped. Yeah, exactly. It's like fan service moments that the show's had this season. Great. I love them together. Love love Brienne. Give her all all the good things. And then Jamie kind of breaks bad at the end, right? And he's like, does he? Right. We and don't that, know. It's ambiguous. And that's the thing is that I see people like being like, man, fuck this. They just did that for fan service, blah, blah. It's like, eh, don't be so quick to judge because this this that could have been kind of like the pushing Brienne away so that she doesn't get more hurt while he goes mm. and tries to do whatever he has to do with with Cersei. I do think some of the like leaps in logic in this episode were a little frustrating. Like, for example, Danny's flying these dragons above and she can't see from a distance that there's Euron and his whole fleet. You know, that that maybe they shouldn't turn around. They don't have any ships going ahead scouting. Can the, the continued lack of This is classic Danny though. It is. But but the the continued lack of like strategy in terms of like battle strategy is very frustrating, mm-hmm. I think. But overall, these are these are nitpicks that I don't think take anything yeah. away from the show, but it's just like, ah, we could have thought so it's a little better. I mean, having them get like like fucked up by Euron makes sense. Euron's supposed to be the master of the seas and the best naval captain there is right now. So mm-hmm. th- that all checks out for me. But yeah, no, it's funny because like, oh, we're a Dragonstone landing area really close to King's like, oh shit, Euron's here. Oh fuck. Right. Nice Meraxes callback for the bookheads. <laughs> Rhaegal getting fucked up with some crossbow bolts. It's funny. I've actually seen that go both ways from the bookheads. Some people are like, well, Meraxes only died because the Dornish hit her in the fucking eye. And it was like a one in a million shot. So how did Rhaegal take take two bolts? Or how did Rhaegal even die at all? He should have should have bounced off the scale. So it's just kind of funny that there's like warring ability over the mm-hmm. the powers of the dragons. And again, these are not like super, super big dragons. Like I saw I saw some tweets comparing it to like Aegon the Conqueror's dragon Balerion, the Black Dread, which is like this fucking massive dragon, way bigger than Drogon. It's this fucking unit, right? Mm-hmm. And Meraxes is uh, Aegon's sister's dragon who dies over Dorne before Dorne is conquered. And it's just funny people are, like trying to bring the book logic in when we often don't have that book logic established in the show. No. A lot of people were bringing that up last last week about the prophecies, the prophecies that were barely spoke of on said show. So having that come up again with the dragon is kind of funny at the end of the day. Another book callback was the hound leaving Winterfell once again with Arya, but on this big black destrier, this big black steed, which is his horse Stranger from the books, which is actually one of the hints in the books that the hound 
didn't actually die because we don't actually know if he's it's truly alive in the books. But two little callbacks, Maraxes and the horse. Nice little nods. My biggest issue with the whole episode was Jon Snow. I mean, fuck that guy, dude. You got your dog. You got your, your dire wolf. You're just there. You freaking went head on into the, the army of the dead because you, for some reason, were like, oh, yeah, just let him go and fight them with He's the a cavalry. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous strategy. He's and a beast. Uh, then you, you just don't even say goodbye to him. You can't even go and give him a peck goodbye. What a dick. Yeah, that ain't no problem. Though. It's no, fine. That's a huge problem. I- I'm not okay with that. He did not have a tender, warm relationship with Ghost and what he does in the book. The book, he literally has war dreams with Ghost, just like Arya does. That's a whole thing we never got on the show at all. Like, I'm sure that blows a lot of TV watchers' heads that, like, Arya and John also warg into wolves, just like Bran did. But, yeah. Remember, he just, Ghost has just kind of been over there, over there. But you didn't really see him because the camera was looking over there instead. You know, he's always been around. But go, uh, John, you know, John didn't have that bond the way Grey Wind and Rob Stark did. <laughs> because that's when the show took it because money. But yeah, yeah I was like, wow, they're, they're not doing, just let him go. Okay. Bullshit. But all you protect ghost heads, at least he's alive. Yes. So take what you can get. Okay. <laughs> and now he's with Tormund, who will definitely treat him right. Also, Tormund should have gotten the girl in terms of Brienne. That if, if there's anything that's just like totally fan service, it was extenuating the Tormund bit about Brienne and having him like drunkishly be upset about it. Yeah. In this past episode, that's just fan service because that doesn't really serve any any narrative purpose. Like no. the Jamie and Brienne stuff, whether you were for it or against it uh, personally, it, it was built up and had a lot riding on it. And I I, I, I didn't see it that often. But I saw some people being like Brienne wouldn't cry over a man and be upset and i counter with did you watch season two when renly baratheon dies and cat stark watches her ball her eyes out because renly was the first guy that treated her well and now in right. the second guy to treat her well spurns her and jamie she's upset again that's out of character are we are, are we are is this really where we're going bad i think that that's a bad take for sure yeah overall uh i think that there's a lot of good setup you know I'm I'm really excited. I actually thought Peter Dinklage had a really good episode. I liked when Bronn showed up, uh, but that that speech he he gives to Cersei, I thought it was like probably Dinklage's last great soliloquy of the series, yep. which I think was very earned, and, and he's been just fantastic throughout the series. So good for him. Yeah, and I mean H- having him spar with Kyburn was cool. Yes, can't re- I don't think they really had a convo like that on the show at all. They I think they've just been next to each other last season at the Dragon Pit, if I remember right. That that was cool just for two kind of gifted speakers like that the Braun scene i mean we just we like Braun, yeah. but even before that like the whole drinking game scene and the whole revelry of it just seeing jamie and Tyrion just like be boys yep and hang out with brienne and pod fucking great and then having pod leave with two, two women because he's the fucking sex god love it awesome <laughs> now i did see a lot of comments about miss sandy's death yes and this kind of we kind of got this episode two where Miss Sandy and Grey Worm are really the only characters of color of any consequence, and by consequence we mean they're always around, but they're usually just kind of in the background. The only little development they ever had was the bond between themselves and the fact that they both served Danny. Now I think it was definitely subverting expectations to have Grey Worm survive the battle than have Miss Sandy get killed. Did not have that in my pool, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but. You know, having Sandy get killed on the heels of the Dothraki basically almost being annihilated, the other culture we've spent so much time with, maybe wasn't handled the best. Did you, did you have an issue with uh, the way Sansa spoke to the Hound, which I thought was a great scene, but the way she acknowledged her past trauma as uh, helping her kick the little birdness out of her and become a stronger, independent woman, smarter person, all that. Did you, did you have an issue with that? Because, I mean, some people are seeing it as... Sansa is happy Ramsay raped her because it made her better in the end. I I didn't think that was the implication at all, but if you thought the, maybe the message or the dialogue was a little fumbled, I would understand. I didn't have an issue with it at the time. I, I can see why people might feel that way. I think more of the point of it was she sees the things that have happened to her as kind of what the line was supposed to be. Right? Right. Like, I grew from this. Like, this it's is like Bran. Like, I got pushed out the window, so here I am now. Right, like acceptance, I right, guess. Right, exactly. But people can take it either way, I think. And maybe they should have been a little bit more careful about how they were 
say it or give her like you know a couple more lines of dialogue i do want to say one thing i'm a little frustrated with is how this show seems to cut away at yeah. the moments that i want to see the it's most a, it's a new phenomenon too yes and i i think i understand that they want to leave some surprises and kind of leave the viewers guessing fuel some of the oh what did they really talk about what were the reactions but i feel like we need to see what happened by the entry when john and bran shared john's parentage with with his sisters because that we've been leading up to that for a while and to not get that felt so frustrating i don't know i just wanted to say that i guess my biggest critique probably. yeah i hear you it's funny i mean there's two episodes left next week is mikhail sapachnik well, again i think in next Big week battle. cersei that the, the the last war's ending right now. Uh, Clegane Bowl will start. Who knows how it goes, but that'll happen too. Uh, I think Bronn, whatever happens with Bronn, probably comes back into play. I assume if he, if it is if it is to happen once again. Yeah, it's looks like it looks like we're there. Do you think we see Sam and Gilly again? It looks like they're just going off to Horn Hill. You know, Sam's out. Sam's out uh, of the yeah. mix the way Tormund is. I really didn't expect Tormund to take the Wildlings back north. I mean, there's all these unoccupied Norman uh, northern castles now thanks to the what night king and the fighting like the bolton castle is i right. think we think empty I, I do think we see sam and gilly again only because it seems like john is going to be coming back up north at some point there's just too many like little clues dropped in this you know Tormund saying you have the true north in you and things like that that i think he will be returning and i think when he does we'll probably see those characters again which also might give him a chance to redeem himself with ghosts. So hopefully he does get a chance to do that. Cause, <laughs> man, that, that was just so disappointing. John, you're a better guy than that. Come on. So I mean, the the final conflict that's been set up is the Danny versus John air thing, Mad Queen. We've acknowledged that we talked about, we predicted yada yada. So it's here. Then Varys and Tyrion have a great moment where they really talk about that. Varys reestablishes himself for the agency he's always had about protecting the realm, and it's he's a great book character. You get even more of that in the books, but. I mean, I, we both have predicted John would die, um, partially due to his desire to leave the Earth for good, and also his reluctance to rule. It just kind of all made sense. But I mean, Danny's been so positioned as like really the, the final, final antagonist. Yeah, now I'm starting to hedge on my my prediction, just given what we've seen. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, Mad Queen is pretty much a thing. The look she has, the way that she's drives forward, even when advised that. I should take a little bit of a break, let people recoup. Power hungry. Loses her two best friends in the world, Miss Cindy and Jorah, back to back. Uh, pretty much like two days apart. Tough, tough couple days there. Yeah, I think John probably will have to survive, but I think uh, I think this sets up more than ever for there to be, as our friend Adam Mahalik calls it, like a United Nations type ending. Gendry is legitimate now. Yeah, where I think there's just going to be a bunch of different people who are uh, ruling different parts because I don't think John will want to have one ruler over all the kingdoms. So probably get maybe Tyrion in the south if he survives. What John up north or stands up north? John will probably I don't know be as like a something like that. They subtly introduce that. Oh yeah, Dorne's a thing. There's a new prince, so you know right. rules there. Um, yeah, I mean Highgarden. They're like, we'll promise it to Bronn. Technically, that's under the southern rule. You could give Highgarden to Sam if he actually wanted it. I I don't know if it'll be this clean way we all predicted. Like Tyrion goes back to the Rock, and Sansa takes the North, and Gendry has Storm's End. Edomir Tully comes back and has River Run. Like I don't know if if it'll be that clean, but uh, it would definitely seem to be what John would do if John is the leader. Well, one last thing before we wrap up, Arya really curbs Gendry and then heads out to uh, <laughs> King's yeah, Landing. Yeah, I mean, she just... It's in character. It's very in character. Re- the uh, the witch... Uh, Melisandre. Melisandre says to her, you're going to close brown eyes, the phrase, blue eyes, the Night King, and green eyes. And people were saying, oh, Cersei. Arya's going to be the one to get Cersei. But now, is it going to be Danny, who also has green eyes? What's your prediction? I still think it's, it's Jamie. You think it's Cersei? I still think it's Jamie. But if Arya does it, I wouldn't be surprised now. She's going to be there. Maybe Arya kills the mountain after the mountain kills the hound. I think Arya's in the mix, clearly. She's headed back down there. She's going to do something. Whether she lives or dies, I don't know. But as far as Cersei, Danny, I don't... Uh, nothing surprises me. It, it's tough to say. I'm just going to stick with Jamie. But I think you're right. Like We had the detente of Tyrion's character. Don't think yep. he would serve Valonqar if they do, do go for that. 
So no. I'll go with Jamie. He's headed back south. He's going to rid Cersei from his life once and for all. And if he survives, he can actually go back to Brienne for good. That's what I'm going with. That, that'd be a nice ending. <laughs> I don't know if Game of Thrones will give it to us, but no. it'd be really nice. Why don't we talk about a movie that maybe didn't have uh, a great ending because real life didn't really have a happy ending at all. Ted Bundy Tales. Extremely wicked. Shockingly evil and vile. Yep. No Oxford comma. <laughs> Hit Netflix. Directed by Joe Berlinger, who also played a, a reporter in this movie. Um, but starring Zac Efron, who is an executive producer. Lily Collins played Liz Kendall. You know, has a couple other high-profile actors in this. Jim Parsons, John Malkovich. Haley Joe Osment. Yeah, which the first time you see him, he's like in that office, right? Yeah, office or like it's like their what like lunchroom in the office, whatever. Yeah. I couldn't even tell. I was like, is that is that Haley Joel Osment? Like I, and then I was actually pretty pumped when it was him. I was like, ah, give him more work. I like him in the Con Valley. So, uh. <laughs> anyways, what'd you think of this movie? It's been uh, kind of teased for a while. Some of the trailers got some backlash. Zac Efron, Ted Bundy, good or bad? Yeah, and this came out of Sundance too, so there was a bit of a elevated profile for it as post being you know a good film and. I liked Efron as Bundy. I think I didn't actually really know much about the Bundy story. I just know that like he was a normal seeming, good looking, charming guy who happened to be a psychopath who murdered dozens of women. Efron was uh, pretty convincing in that. Uh, he's a good looking dude. He really had that gaze, I think, yeah. that you can kind of see. It's like that guy something not quite right with that guy. But like you can understand why like you could definitely understand why like women would swoon over him, obviously, but he just the way he carried himself in the movie, I thought, was really well done to try and give off that vibe. I know some critics are probably like, oh, you're glorifying Ted Bundy by making him likable due to the performance. And I, don't, I don't think he's ever made likable. He's a fucking shitty dude, obviously. It's like completely yeah. <laughs> nut. But due to Efron's performance, it's at least a little bit compelling. I, I, I liked him in the role. I really did. Just to speak to your point, if if you do like him, I think that actually works to kind of give the experience of the women who were seduced by him and who yeah. were obviously taken by him, even though he was this extremely wicked, shockingly evil. Yeah. Yeah. Just this horrible <laughs> dude. Um, it, but he obviously was just very charming and uh, seemed very, like very charismatic. And that kind of made Smart. him this sensation. Yeah. yeah. And obviously very intelligent. I thought Efron was great. I didn't think the movie was, was really that great. I thought it was okay. Yeah. It kind of like it had like really high peaks and valleys for me. There were some moments I thought were just like really good, and some I was just like, oh "God, just get to something else here." Yeah, I think the issue is it's framed through. I think it's based off the memoir, but it's framed through the memory and perspective of Liz Kendall's girlfriend, played by Lily Collins, and her grief accompanying. You know, once Ted gets arrested, and he and Ted's basically caught very quickly in the movie. It's really not about him committing the crimes; it's about him once he's on the radar of law enforcement but like her, her grief in the film is kind of boiled down to her moping around and staring at the tv and picking up the phone and stuff and i thought lily collins was good she's always been an actress that i've kind of been interested in she's kind of had a weird career in the sense that she never really like fully blew up like tried to make her make it have mortal instruments and that wasn't successful and warren Beatty had her in song to song a few years ago but kind of been an interesting career for someone i mean she's the daughter of phil collins she had an early entry but i Weird project choices thus far, but I think this was a, a good idea. But I don't think the script just didn't help help it enough to serve the character. And like you're always more interested in watching Ted, you know, whether it's him talking to his lawyers or I thought that when he escaped from the courtroom, I thought that was invigorating. I kind of yeah would have liked to see him on the run a little bit more, but that's not what the movie was about because the movie jumped through plot points so quickly. Again, the, the grief is just kind of sh- we're shown the grief, and Lily Collins is doing convincingly but i just never quite understood through the movie why she couldn't let him go and like yes she explains at the end that she had some guilt about giving his name but the fact that she kept it i don't know i I just don't know if it totally came together despite good performances and fun cameos yeah i I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and i think it was probably the times when she was talking uh, or or when she was kind of just like moping around her apartment feeling sad watching the trial crying Kelly Joel Osmond's like begging her oh please don't be sad or forget this guy right when I was probably like least engaged but like you said everything with Ted was very intriguing 
And it really just kind of made me want to go watch the documentaries about him more than it made me kind of want to explore what's going on with Liz and everything with that. Although, right. gotta be honest, don't really, I, I don't really like these true crime things. Like, I'm, no. I don't fit into that fan, which is very popular now, but just doesn't appeal to me. The only reason I watched is because it was a dramatization. It's a feature, right? right? I mean, we get tons of true crime shows, podcasts, documentaries. I just couldn't care. Like, I, true crime is not my thing. Yeah. But if you make it dramatic and try and retell the story, I'm into it. Like, I didn't care about all the OJ docs. We got so many of them, but I'll watch People versus OJ, of course, you know? Yep. But yeah, I mean, the Ted Bundy tapes that blew up on Netflix a few weeks ago. Uh, and now they get the moment again. It's funny. I think Netflix is yet another little niche they're carving out is we're just doing true crime, too. Making a murderer was really the first first planted flag with this alongside like serial but yep. now it's ip in itself serial killers and all that shit and we'll get manson and once upon a time in hollywood soon but yeah as for this i mean i i, I thought the movie if it was a little shorter maybe it would have been better but i think ultimately you just had to rework the script to try and either communicate the grief more or just go full in on ted you know they kind of just focus on the plot and went right down the middle and it just was mediocre as a result couldn't have said it better myself why don't we jump to another movie that we both saw this weekend? Also premiered. Oh no! Also, it premiered at South by Southwest to really strong reviews and, and acclaim. Long shot. Jonathan Levine's recent romantic comedy starring Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen. Eighty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's funny because when I was listening to the Big Picture podcast talking about Charlize Theron's career, and they called this a romantic comedy. I kind of took a step back because I didn't really think about it that way. I really just saw this as a straight-up comedy movie, but obviously the romantic elements do qualify for that. But this was probably the most that I've laughed consistently in theaters at a movie in a really long time. Before we get too far into like spoilers with it, overall thoughts and feelings about the movie. 83% Rotten Tomatoes kind of speaks for itself when you're talking about studio comedies. That's not common for critics to overwhelmingly support this kind of movie. And as soon as I heard about the South by Buzz, I went in blind. So I didn't actually know that the long shot title was referring to them as a couple. I thought it was referring to Charlie's character running for office. I thought that's what it was more about because I didn't watch the trailer. But yeah, you, you know, I think it's, it's just hilarious. Great, great wit, great chemistry between characters. Um, really well paced thing. It moves quite briskly, but never sacrifices laughs as a result. Yeah, I, I loved it. I think this is... Fully endorse it, and again, I, I would do what I did if you can. Don't really have go into any preconceived notions, have any jokes spoiled, anything like that, and it's a great time. Big fan. Yeah, if you're watching our review on the movie, and you haven't, you somehow avoided everything, and you're not going to listen to the rest of this, go see it right now and then come back. Add to um, your watch later and come back. Yeah. No, you made a really good point about the pacing of this, but also the chemistry, I think, is what stood out most to me. When you when I think about Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron together, I guess this is kind of like the running joke throughout the movie. No one would ever put these two people together. Because Charlize Theron, I don't think, has ever been more beautiful than she is in this movie. Dude, that was my, my number one takeaway. more attractive with age. It's pretty crazy. I walked out of the theater and I said to, to Julianne, I said, I mean... She's like the most perfect looking person in the entire world, I think. Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but they really mesh together so well. And not only did they have like that romantic chemistry that you kind of need between the two leads, but I thought they really played off each other well in terms of humor. And, you know, Charlize Theron's character in this is supposed to be, you know, not, not very funny. But there's really nothing that indicates that she isn't funny, that she's just right. ultra serious. She's busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I I think the way that they set it up too in terms of making them like childhood friends and then you know they come together because he becomes a speechwriter for her was really well done and it also is just an excellent idea for a story because you already have these built in like places you're going things that you're doing that they're kind of interacting around but in the conflict is already built in in terms of her role and, and yep. his looks so just really really smart movie. Uh, any any performances uh, other than Rogan and Theron that you wanted to shout out? Because I, I definitely had two. I thought O'Shea Jackson Jr. was great. Yep. <laughs> My first time seeing him in this kind of comedic role, but being Rogan's friend and then kind of carrying the political message fully forward about being a black Christian Republican. Uh, just really funny. And I'm, 
honestly, I really think this can really open up his career even further. He's doing quite well already, yeah. but um, he's certainly much bigger than Ice Cube's son, let's put it that way. Bob Odenkirk, just amusing as a yeah. uh, Ronald Reagan to the extreme, let's say. And then June, Diane Raphael, as uh, yes. Charlize is someone on her team, her inner circle. I think she's really good, just really cutting line deliveries when she's talking to yes. Flarsky, talking to Rogan. And ultimately pays off in a great way, kind of in Act 2, when you have that hallway scene post-coitus for the whole team. Yes, so good. Great stuff. And as you mentioned, given the premise, the jet setting between locate locales, uh, I didn't expect. I think that actually kind of add to the budget. I think it's like a $40 million movie, which you wouldn't have expected at first, given it's just a mm-hmm. comedy. But the jet setting was cool. Like, obviously the Philippines action yes. really propels the plot, propels the romance. Mm-hmm. But even when we're in... um, was Argentina? It, was it, uh, well, no, is it Sweden or yes. somewhere in Scandinavia yeah, anyway? Sweden. A lot of fun uh, yeah. the whole time. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. And I think, I, yes, like Andy Serkis's bad business Rupert Murdoch dude. Yes, he's one note. Yes, we know exactly what he's going to do in the movie and we know how it ends. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The movie's fucking hilarious and it's quite smart. Yeah, it's, it's really smart. Um, couldn't recommend this enough. Also, I really liked Randall Park in this uh, <laughs> as like the boss of Flarksky and just like yeah. you, you're just making bad decisions right now. You're just you're just making bad. Decisions. Paul Shear as like a guy on Fox News, <laughs> yeah. really funny. And also shout out Lil Yachty, kind of a really yeah. funny comic. You know what? Everyone jerks off. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> just it's so, so good. Um, I also probably my my favorite uh, Scarsgard also I think is pretty good. You know, with like mm. he's he's kind of given a weird role to play, but I thought he was still solid with it. Played weird well. Yeah, he uh, the. The whole, like, or I guess, like, the sequence of scenes I like the most is probably when they're in Argentina. Because not only did they have probably my favorite joke when uh, Seth Rogen's like, oh, the people that killed my, my grandparents might actually be here. Like, I just saw Adolf <laughs> Hitler. But, like, um, then they have that really sweet scene where, like, they go into the other room and they dance together to, like, the same song that was playing, like, the kids show their kids. I thought that was really effective in terms mm-hmm. of, like, meshing comedy with romance really well in this. Um, and in, like... For as much as unbelievable as this movie is, like a somewhat believable way. So, yeah. One last thing, I I liked how they kind of bring it home at the end, where it's like, do you sacrifice what you stand for versus what you want to realistically accomplish? Both the political message and also about personal lives. And you know, I, a lot of times when comedies get sappy at the end, it can lose people because it's kind of usually very thin, especially if it's very romancy. But I, I thought it was it was quite effective, and it follows up a great set piece where they both do molly so good stuff um that 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 whole scene was fucking hysterical just the whole whole thing is so good i I really can't wait to who's molly when she's like talking on the phone she like looks up above the the desk and they're all staring at her and she just goes back down and is like amazing (laughs) uh just amazing acting by theron all right time to talk about it talked about endgame you know gonna be probably the highest grossing movie of all time Let's talk about what Phase 4 looks like for Marvel. I mean, technically, we still have one more movie left, uh, Far From Home, Spider-Man, which we mentioned before. July. Technically, the, yeah, coming out in July, the last one for Phase 3. But then we're on to Phase 4 for Marvel. And this is probably the first time we look ahead and we say, I don't really know what, what to expect. I mean, I think we know a couple of things. Mm. And I was thinking maybe the way to, to structure this is talking about three factors. The role Disney Plus plays in all of this. Yep. Who's leaving and who's being added in? And I think from there we can kind of talk about what, how things are going to be changing and how things are going to be shaping up down the road. So, right. Disney Plus is going to be dropping, what, this November? November 12th. November I 12th. I don't know if any of the Marvel shows are day and date. I believe that's a no as of now. But yeah, we know of at least four of them already. So, Disney Plus on the way. And we know what Hawkeye. There's the Wandavision. There's Captain. Uh, oh, sorry, Captain America. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. And uh, the Hawkeye, an unnamed Hawkeye, Kate Bishop yeah. show. So we we got some pretty big properties on there, or at least superheroes that are known in this universe. And I think that probably signals that Disney Plus is going to be a pretty major factor in terms of understanding these movies going forward and i think that that means that there's probably gonna be some crossover between these characters on tv and how they 
are in the movies. I don't think it's going right. to be major. I think you'll probably still be able to enjoy the movies if you don't get Disney+. Plus. But I think if you're really invested in this, you're going to have to get both. So I think that that's going to play a bit of a factor. Uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately what these Disney Plus shows say to me is kind of what we're foreseeing if you look at the slate, which we'll get into. Um, I don't think there's a team-up movie coming soon and, and a new Avengers, whatever they call it, right? Mm-hmm. Thus, when would we see the characters that we know will not have solo movies? War Machine, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Bucky, Hawkeye. This goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we could even technically throw Hulk in this mix because due to the universal movie rights issue, we're not getting Hulk's whole movie if they wanted to make one. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, you have these shows that can keep uh, those people on the roster, let's say, and from what we know, all those actors sign separate deals for the Disney Plus shows, separate from their movie contracts. Um, obviously, Sebastian Stan is famous for signing away his soul to Disney and Marvel, so we we assume he has more movie options, but it doesn't sound like they're on the way. So mm-hmm. I really just look at the Disney Plus show just for keeping these characters in the mix. And it's kind of surprising that some of the characters they would one of the characters they choose someone like Hawkeye. But now that we know it's Kate Bishop, clearly Renner's gonna be passing the torch and maybe he'll be setting up uh obviously a, a Kate Bishop to take the mantle and maybe appear in a movie down the line. So it's interesting, but ultimately, I don't know how consequential those shows will be, despite what they're telling us. Just because I'm complying it to the movie slate, and the movie slate just doesn't seem like it's going to interact with those characters in those shows anytime soon. So what do we have on the confirmed movie slate? Right, so here's the thing. We haven't had any of these movies officially announced, despite there's been reporting from Deadline and Iowa Trades about uh, casting and production dates and director choices and all that but we don't actually know anyone in the official phase four and maybe they don't even call it phase four who knows i think if they were to announce a full slate the way they did three it would probably come at the end of august at d23 uh, disney's uh, biannual uh, expo that they do their own little con convention the phase three announcement was just a press event but now that it's bigger, Marvel obviously has never been bigger, hotter, more successful. Maybe they truly do that at Disney event. Who knows? But what we know is that uh, we actually we know the dates Marvel has picked out and claimed on the calendar, which is really just a signal of like all the other major studios just get the fuck away. We're going here. <laughs> if you want to lose mad money on your movie by releasing next to us, that's on you. We're going to be here. Yep. They're not also tied to this because, as we know, they moved Infinity War up a week into April. When it was previously being in May. So again, things can change. And Spider-Man Homecoming was added to the slate in three and pushed things around. So again, all subjects to change. But we know that the next, there's only two movies in 2020 due to the James Gunn mishap that slowed Guardians 3. So there's May 1st, 2020 and 11, or November 6th, 2020. And we're almost certain that the May movie will be Black Widow and the November movie will be The Eternals because we know that Black Widow is literally shooting next month. And Scarlett Johansson is, of course, returning, despite dying in Endgame. And Florence Pugh and uh, David Harbour were cast. And uh, Col- uh, Kate Kate Charland is directing. So we know all this already, despite Disney and Marvel not actually telling us. The Eternals movie is a little more interesting, because uh, Angelina Jolie, Kumana Johnny apparently have been cast. Chloe Zhao, who's famous for directing The Rider last year, which is a really lauded indie film. Kind of another choice, a textbook MCU of old. We get young, up-and-coming director who's still not that experienced, and we give him this big blockbuster property so we can help mold it. That, that, that's definitely the Marvel MO. But those are our first two. I think Black Widow's going to shoot at Pinewood, and Eternals might do that as well over in the UK. But those are the only movies we'll be getting in 2020. And kind of interesting that you would start with a Black Widow. We assume it's a prequel. I guess it could be a multiverse thing. I'm pretty sure it's just a prequel. It's not yeah. that confusing or that complicated. And then Eternals, Although, which is a, a new cosmic property, kind of adjacent to Guardians. But in- interesting choice for these being our next two, you know? I wonder, you know, you get someone like Pew for Black Widow. Do you think that they might be setting her up to potentially uh, get some of her own shine maybe down the road? Potentially be involved in these movies in some way? Maybe like a protege to Black Widow? Interesting thought. The problem is, if this is a prequel, right. you're Where was she? dating everyone, especially someone who's a young actress like Pew. 
obviously I'd love to see her continue because we both really like her. She's very talented. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know who they're playing. Uh, right. You can guess who the Eternals characters are, but, you know, interesting. I, you know, having Endgame condense Thor and the Guardians, I thought was kind of smart to condense the cosmic entities. And then we just got Captain Marvel added to the fold. Now we're going to introduce the Eternals, which might start on Earth. I guess they are humans from what I know about the characters, but interesting. Very interesting. Well, and I think the thing that seems certain in all of this is they're going they're going to space. Um, yeah, I think Earth is a little bit played out, and you know, Captain Marvel. I think ad nauseum mentioned, "Hey, there's other places that need help other than here." Um, mm-hmm. And I I think one thing that will be probably certain is the stories that will be on Earth for the most part will probably start with X Men, which I'm assuming will probably come near the end of this phase, as it's just been acquired by Fox. They have to do a whole reboot. Um, right. But, I mean, Spider-Man will be here, but Spider-Man also, say in the trailer, mentioned the multiverse. Um, yeah, Mysteria. So don't know how that's going to play into things. Yeah, it, it, see, the thing about the multiverse is interesting just because Mysterio as a character is kind of a, a sham, a scam artist of sorts. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people running with the multiverse stuff, given that Endgame really explicitly introduced time travel and... Uh, alternate timelines and timeline shards or whatever they fucking called it and now you can legitimately talk yourself into a lot of stuff because there's at least you know grains of truth planted in endgame and i guess this trailer but i i don't know if they're just going to take it that extreme i really feel like they're going to take their pedal off the gas and you kind of see that with starting the slate with a prequel about a character who just died versus having it be a different timeline which we're pretty certain it's not gonna be the case um then again if you look at the rest of the slate and i'm just again i'm just going with the dates they have and off the casting i mean i think february 2021 the next one they have i'm pretty sure that's black panther 2 we don't have any dates on the go in production we do know kugler signed back on we do know chadwick boseman has one last option um so that would make a ton of sense given that the last one came out february 20 uh 2017 it's an uh or 2018, so a three-year layoff. I think that's a good, good, good gap. So I would pick that for February. The problem is the May movie uh, would be Shang Chi, which is the the brand new one, the Asian mixed uh, martial arts artist. Apparently, they're going to shoot that in Australia. Apparently, they've been fast tracking that. So maybe they do Shang Chi in February. Recently, they've used the early part of the year to introduce new solo films with Captain Marvel and Black Panther. So I guess that wouldn't be surprising. And then having Black Panther be your May movie, you know, your your hard hitter, given that we have the monumental success of the first movie, wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Um, and then November 2021 could be Doctor Strange 2, given Doctor Strange 1 came out in the fall and Scott Derrickson has already signed on. We know Benedict Cumberbatch also has one more option, and apparently it's rumored to shoot early 2020. That would sync up with logistics and all that. Where they take that, given that he does have a cosmic element to his character. Who knows? Technically, uh, Chitwell Edgefor as Mordo is still out there as yeah. a new antagonist. So, uh, but I mean, that, so that takes us through the next two years of Marvel movies, and we're getting two obvious sequels in Black Panther 2, Doctor Strange 2, and then a cosmic franchise and a, another Earthbound character in Shang-Chi. Um, and then I really it's a lot of projecting for 2022, but Captain Marvel 2. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and the next Spider-Man that we know Sony will fast-track. Um, after that, it's just a lot of guessing. Again, like I, I don't think we get a team-up movie in 2022, so there's just a lot of time. I know a lot of people are thinking, like, who's the next Thanos? What's the name of this next saga? What are we doing? And I guess it really depends how quickly foggy and crew want to introduce a new big bad and whether they want that big bad to be coming from the new fox characters dr doom is a very exciting introduction so it'll be galactus having that done right maybe even someone like kang or dare i say magneto um i think the multiverse given that they've explicitly acknowledged it's probably the way they introduce fantastic four and silver surfer and x-men and all that just seems like it's an easy clean way to do it do it but i just don't know how quick that's gonna be you know, I don't feel like it's that close. Yeah, I, I feel like X-Men is like the major 
question mark in all this because it, it does have to be a, a reboot just because of all the issues that have especially been happening with like dark phoenix and none of the actors are going to want to continue to do it and like start over so and it wouldn't make sense yeah they've already said that dark phoenix is the last of the fox one so we know they would reboot but you got to figure they're gonna they're gonna want a buffer right so how soon those get introduced is a big question um you know an interesting thing you know you talked before about hawkeye passing down to uh kate bishop and ant-man 3 you know we don't really have another ant-man on the um, the docket but uh I would be interested to see if they would go maybe like a Young Avengers route um, with some of these mm. characters. I think it would make a lot of sense, especially if the Hawkeye uh, TV show does well to kind of incorporate maybe Ant-Man's daughter takes right. over, which happens in the comic books. Yeah, yep. Spider-Man would be involved, Definitely. you assume. Um, and especially with uh, so much talent coming up, and you can really fill that out with some really good young female actresses and I don't know. They they also seem yep. to lean into that even at the end of and not not necessarily the young part, but the the female team up at, in the battle in Endgame. So I can see them doing something like that. Right. Yeah. You wonder if they try and reintroduce Iron Man via Kamala. Uh. uh ah, fuck. I forget her name. Not Kamala Khan. Uh. The 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 female Iron Man that they have in the comics. Um. Yeah. A lot of options. It's it just new Avengers, young. Young Avengers seems like a better bet than just a new, brand new team, just because, I don't know, like Black Panther, through two Avengers movies, hasn't really felt like a Avenger, he's just Chilling. part of the part of the friend yeah. group that helps out, you right. know? And that's the... And Captain, I mean, there, there's talk that, like, Tessa Thompson wants Valkyrie to be in Captain Marvel 2, it sounds great, um... But I, I mean, like, who, who is your core Avengers team? Because as I said before, I do not see these old legacy characters that have been side characters the whole time suddenly leading the team. And Spider-Man is the only one with a true precedent as an Avenger. Because I just don't think they're going to take Black Panther out of Wakanda like that. Yeah, you know, when you think about, like, who's left people we're talking about, it seems Spider-Man, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange. But Strange, I mean, Cumberbatch only has one more. Like you said, he might he might sign on for more, possibly, but he's also mm-hmm. like, yeah, like yeah, Thor he's also did. a world class actor. So I can see him not doing yeah. it. There's no guarantee there. So really it comes and they seem to be even within this Spider Man Far From Home, we obviously we haven't seen it, but the trailers all indicate that they're kind of setting him up to be like the next Stark in a way of this this whole thing. So Holland seems locked right. in. Um I think Brie Larson yeah. is a sure thing to be probably part of it moving forward because she's has be the leader of that space element so to speak yeah and trying to replace stark i I keep finding myself with reed richards mr fantastic from Mm. fantastic four and i actually think introducing fantastic four could happen sooner than x-men x-men there's a lot going on with x-men i love the x-men there's a lot there and unless you have dr dr xavier and magneto too massively powerful and important characters i they're not going to rush into that let alone people like gene gray or logan or anything like that right fantastic four earthbound people from another multiverse they come in it's very easy to see how they could try and set that up and if they were to change their slate around and again the slate i mentioned it's only three years and it's only a handful of movies a lot of them are sequels we were guaranteed from the start so it's not like we're really moving that much forward again a shang chi origin and an eternals movie we're not getting that far with these so when do we get fantastic four x-men that's really the question and maybe they take even longer and we have adam warlock come and guardians galaxy 3 he was teased in the uh, two hmm. uh, post-credit scene Be interesting i don't know but ultimately my takeaway is that we're far out from a team-up movie and i think we're ultimately i think we're far out from any kind of existential universe binding threat the way Thanos uh, existed. I don't think they're going to set that up right away unless it's going to come together much faster. But do you think that we're going to have someone on the level of Thanos, not even level, but like say it's Kang, we're going to see Kang get killed by Spidey, Black Panther, Dr. Strange, Captain Marvel no. and the guardians. I don't know. I just, it just, it was just seemed like you'd been rushing it. So I think we're in for a long break from that. And, 
I think we're going to be in a bit of a swoon for Marvel. Obviously, all these movies are going to be very successful. Even Ant-Man makes a lot of money despite being at the low end of the spectrum. And whether we get Ant-Man 3 or not, uh, who's to say? But I think it's going to feel less like a um, congruent universe than it has the past two, three years. I, w- I think it's pretty safe unless they really th- tip everything on, on their head and do the multiverse shit yeah. right away. But I don't see that happening. No, I agree with you, and I think that that is probably a good uh, good way to wrap this up. Is that don't be expecting to be seeing too much uh, team up from Marvel, but this is more of a reset, which is a good thing. I think taking the foot off the yeah. gas is, uh, is okay. okay for right now. <laughs> um, anyways, we got to wrap up there. What do we got next week? What are we talking about? Uh, yeah, next week we have Veep Season 7, the final uh season of Veep series review Crazy. we'll say as well as detective pikachu the movie i expect to dethrone endgame at the domestic box office this week uh, reviews are very strong box office tracking is as well so look look out for that box office battle also under the silver lake has been on demand now it was only in theaters for one week we didn't see it it wasn't by us but now we're gonna watch it because you can just yeah. rent it now We've been interested in that movie, so we'll talk about that. Easy's on Netflix, the third, third and final season from Joe Swanberg. Don't know if I'll get to that right away, but keep that on your radar. It's always been good. And also, Ari Lennox is dropping an album. She is her debut album. She's signed to J. Cole, signed the Dreamville, and she's pretty popular. But this is her first big project, so I'm interested to see exactly how that goes. Nice. And Chernobyl technically premieres tonight. We'll be talking about that when it ends, if we talk about it. So a lot of stuff to stay up with. Um... If you want to be getting all of our videos, podcasts, right on demand, hit that subscribe button, go to iTunes, give us that five-star rating and review, and share us with your friends. Uh, interact with us on Twitter at NostalgiaPod, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.